This podcast contains some scenes voiced by actors using transcripts of press conferences and interviews from the time. Testimony was produced and recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, so audio quality may vary. There's a shadow hanging over Lee. For the past 36 years, a murder has loomed in the memories of this small mill town near Wigan. This is the story of a young girl robbed of her life one winter night in 1984. This is the story of a murder that still remains unsolved today. This is the story of a case that has haunted my career. My name is Neil Keeling and this is Testimony. Welcome to Testimony, a true crime podcast from Laudable. We speak to Neil Keeling, chief reporter at the Manchester Evening News, about the tragic case of Lisa Hessian, a schoolgirl murdered when she was just 14 years old. Neil guides us through the story, speaking to experts, campaigners and those who knew Lisa. Neil, how did Lisa Hessian die on December the 8th, 1984? Martin Bottomley from Greater Manchester Police's cold case unit gives me the details. Well, she was obviously died from asphyxia and it was most probably uh, caused by strangulation of some kind with a possibly a t-shirt or uh, some other item of clothing. That's what the pathologist uh, decided that there'd been firm pressure applied to her neck with something like a t-shirt or a vest. And she, you know, she had other injuries as well, but they were not enough to cause her to die. There were scratches on her face and her upper and lower lips and uh, on her legs as well. So she'd been clearly subject to an attack and, you know, to all intents and purposes, had, had fought back uh, in some respect. But she died from asphyxiation. Since revisiting this story, has this podcast changed your mind in any way? Have you learned anything new about the case? I think in doing the podcast, one thing that I have been told that I wasn't perhaps fully aware of, which motivates me even more to help the police get a result, is when Martin Bottomley, the cold case unit boss, explained to me that from the scene, they could tell that Lisa had put up one hell of a fight. Her umbrella was discarded in the back alley. Her earrings were found in the back alley elsewhere and it was clear that she'd fought for her life. The press conferences I attended in 1984 were conducted by Detective Superintendent Terry Millard, then head of Greater Manchester Police's Serious Crime Squad. At the time, he also explained that her death may have been accidental by the killer. This is based on a press conference from 1984, voiced by actors. If, in fact, it was, uh, the reinforced neck of the T-shirt was pulled tightly round her neck. But it does suggest that the death was an accident. And without that T-shirt, she might have got off lightly otherwise. Assuming it was the T-shirt that was pulled around her throat, had she not been wearing it, I must admit that the death probably would not have occurred. 
During the press conference, Detective Superintendent Millard revealed what remains a potentially crucial line of inquiry. Lisa may have been the fourth target in a series of sex attacks. On three previous occasions, in the four months before Lisa's murder, young women in the same area of Lee were assaulted. One was attacked the night before Lisa's killing and only a quarter of a mile away. Back to Martin Bottomley from GMP's cold case unit. Now, given yes. both hindsight and your detailed reviews of the, the case, do you believe that there was a link between those three attacks and Lisa's murder? I strongly suspect that there is a link, yes. I want to make it clear that there's no forensic link between uh, Lisa's murder and the other three attacks. Uh, but they, they could be quite crucial, actually, because there were three offences in the area all within a mile and a half of Lisa's home address um, in the months leading up to that. So there was one in August of that, that year, in August 1984, and a 20-year-old lady was grabbed from behind and dragged to the floor and threatened, but uh, she escaped. And then the 2nd of September, again, 1984, a 16-year-old girl was approached. He, she was grabbed and threatened and indecently assaulted, but again, she escaped, fortunately. And then the third case uh, occurred on the 7th of December, which obviously is a day before Lisa was murdered. Uh -huh. About six o'clock in the evening, the 17-year-old girl was walking across spare land near to Mother Lane in Lee, and she was accosted and grabbed. Um, she struggled free and managed to escape. So, you know, it's potentially... The, co the coincidences of those attacks, particularly the latest one just before Lisa was murdered, is, is too difficult to ignore, really. I have established that five months after Lisa's death, there was a fifth attack in May 1985. In that incident, the victim was walking close to the same alleyway behind where Lisa's body was found. The daughter of that victim has told me after her mother was attacked, officers investigating Lisa's murder came to see her. This is based on an interview voiced by actors. It was 9.40pm and she was on Buck Street. She felt someone run up behind her. The man grabbed her and bashed her into a house wall near the junction with St Helens Road. He had a fight with her and was undoing his trousers while my mum lay on the floor. When a neighbour drove into the road with her headlights on and he ran off into St Helens Road he was later seen doubling back onto the estate. The side of my mum's face was a mess. She was very badly bruised. Her face was black and blue from where he'd thrown her against the wall. The crime squad came to our house and said because of my mum's build, she's petite. Then the attacker probably didn't think she was an adult. Also, her hood was up. Our family do believe it was the same person who attacked Lisa and the other girls. The police said that my mum's build was like a little doll. The attacker must have thought she was a girl. I feel it is someone local who was responsible for all the attacks. It had a deep effect on my mother. Before Lisa's murder, there were a series of sex attacks in the Lee area. And you have established that there could have been a fourth attack months afterwards. There is a theory that the serial sex attacker and Lisa's killer could be the same person. Has anyone given you a description of the serial sex attacker? An old-style efit of the serial sex attacker was issued by police in 1985. 
He was said to be aged 18 to 20 with a local accent. Each time he struck, he threatened to kill the women he targeted. Detective Superintendent Millard, not the press, described him as baby-faced and very clean-shaven. He told the press conference, If it is the same man, it's the fourth attack now. You must be concerned that there might be other attacks. I'm concerned that there could be other attacks. Nobody wants this sort of thing to happen. We'll do all in our power to detect the person that's committed this offence. Detectives now say it's crucial to trace the man wanted for the incident assaults before Lisa's death. He's said to be in his late teens and on one occasion wore a blue tracksuit and red Benny star hat. Superintendent Millard says he probably lives in the area. Well, I would say to this man that I want to see him. There's no doubt I want to see him. And it would probably be in his own interest to contact me by telephone. I will see him where and when he wants, if he so wishes. The attacker's image was reproduced in local and national newspapers, but did not lead to a breakthrough. Ryan Daly is part of the Let's Get Justice for Lisa Jane Hessian and her mum Christine Facebook group. We don't always go off the picture of the original ether of the suspect, the, the jogger, that, um, what, what was obviously first surfaced in the 80s as the, um, the attacker what attacked the um, women. We don't always go off that uh, when people give us information. But we're not saying, like, if anyone says that um, ether looks like such a body, we still do pass it on. But we have, like, explored other theories as well. Like, a lot of people who I know well who live on that estate, who was there in the 80s and are still there now, they think that ether of the joggers was a massive distraction in the original investigation in the 1980s. Some people think, like, the attacks beforehand of the, the women in the area and could not necessarily be linked to Lisa Hessian's murder. It could just be coincidental and that the actual ether um, attacker and that Lisa's killer are two separate people. Like, it's just coincidental. The police at the time, the 80s, have just assumed that the attacks and the murder were linked and obviously just put two and two together and got fired type thing. But um, it's possible the attacker and Lisa Hessian's murder are two completely different men. A disturbing insight into the personality of the man who may have been Lisa's killer was given by Carol Gallagher the first of the three women to be attacked in Lee in the three months before the murder. She spoke to me and other journalists three days after Lisa's murder. In August 1984, Carol, then 20, was returning late at night to her home in Rugby Road, Lee. A man aged 18 to 20 and wearing a red bobble hat and blue tracksuit put his hand around her mouth and tried to drag her to the ground. The attacker told her, If you make a noise, I will kill you. If you scream, I will break your neck. Carol, who had psychiatric training, talked her way out of trouble and ended up walking with him for 300 yards. She told me how she didn't make any noise. She was so shocked. Her attacker's voice was shaking, but he seemed determined. Then he took his hand away from her mouth and crouched down beside her. She kept calm and asked him what he thought he was doing. She said she started to talk to him about anything she could think of. He said he was having trouble finding a girlfriend and after they chatted, the man said he was sorry. Carol told me, I knew I was lucky. The man wasn't ugly. In fact, he was very attractive, but I was terrified. Lisa's body was found in a gunnel behind the road where Carol lived 
adding credence to the suspicions that it was the same man. So this suspect had a local accent, was good looking and clearly knew the estate where he struck. Andrea Aldred, who was brought up in Lee, has her own theories on what happened that night in December 1984. And what do you think about the possibility that the same man was responsible for a spate of sexually motivated attacks on young women? No, I, I believe Lisa's killer is a totally different person to the ones that were being attacked around Lee. I feel like he had men the, the one that was attacking, first of all, before Lisa, I think he had more mental health problems towards women and more sexually talking motivated, whereas I think Lisa's killer was infatuated with her. That's interesting. I really do. There's, like obviously, with the group, you hear different stories. She was a very, she was a very light girl. So, when you say you think that he was infatuated with her, do you think that at some point she might have rejected his advances? Either that, or she's rejected him in some kind of way of like if he tried, you know, like be a friend or come on too strong with her. And that just led him into wanting to be with her more and more in his head to doing what he did that night. Which would suggest that he knew where she was that night and he was waiting for her to return from the party. Is that what you think? Yeah, because there was two parties that night. There was one at Learia's, um, which Lisa was a runner for Learia's. And then there was the party that Lisa went to. And everybody knew at that time he was going to that party that Lisa weren't going to her the Lee, the Lee area celebration party, she was going to the other party. So that would have give the killer the place to know where Lisa were. It, she always met under the, there was a clock at the bus station in Lee and she used to meet a friend there and then walk back home. She never met her friend that night. The initial police investigation was in an era without social media. Tactics familiar at the time were employed. As well as the photo fit picture, Lisa's final walk was recreated for the press by policewoman Rita Kraft. A week after the murder, the then 26-year-old detective replicated what Lisa was wearing before walking from the corner of Book Street and St Helens Road where she was last seen. On February the 7th, 1985, detectives mingled with mourners at Lisa's funeral at Overdale Crematorium in Bolton. By the time of the funeral, police had visited 1,300 homes, interviewing 2,800 people, sent 183 items for forensic examination, interviewed a further 3,200 people, received 1,060 calls from the public and fed 4,800 items of information into what would then have been a primitive computer. Only one man was ever arrested on suspicion of Lisa's murder. He was picked up within days of her death. He was released without charge and died in 2005. In 2011, Greater Manchester Police carried out a mass DNA swabbing of men in Lee and Wigan in an attempt to identify Lisa's killer. 
It didn't identify Lisa's killer and a reasonable assumption is that he is dead or now lives elsewhere and has never been in trouble since. However, if he is alive, he may still be caught due to the DNA of his relatives and advances in technology. Martin Bottomley explains more. In 1984, DNA was very much in its infancy. The DNA database was only just about to be set up. And um, the difficulties of identifying somebody from forensics at that time was really just through blood grouping. Now, we have forensic samples, DNA samples, that we're able to, through advances in technology, match against a potential offender. But what we need is somebody to give us a name of that offender. You know, this man or youth uh, must be a local person, bearing in mind all these the three attacks on Lisa's murder were in a very, very close geographic area. My gut instinct is that the person who, who murdered Lisa must have been local, must have known the area, and must have known, you know, this back entry gill that uh, afforded some degree of seclusion for him to drag Lisa down and murder. So what I'm looking for is a name that will help me to trace and convict whoever's done this. But I'm also shocked that familiar DNA hasn't caught up with him um, by the, with a killer now because so many historical murder cases have been solved through DNA or familiar DNA. Ryan Daly who runs a campaign group to find justice for Lisa. It's ace, it's ace what uh, forensics can do these days but it will only be a matter of time before the person who murdered Lisa Hessin is found out whether it's in this decade or whenever, but with forensics these days, it'll only be a matter of time. But a lot of cold cases have been solved in recent years through DNA, like cases like which were unsolved for over 30 years, like cases like Leslie Molseed, um, Melanie Rod, Janet Commons, and Nulayana, like all examples of no matter how old the case is, and regardless of how many decades on, the culprit can still be caught. So like cases like that, what was solved over 30 years, after 30 years of being like cold cases, and they've finally been solved. And that's like brings me and Andrea Hope, like raising awareness about this. But also, if you look at like the Colette Irwin case, which was solved after 25 years, again through DNA, that were quite similar to the Lisa Hessian case, although that particular case happened in Nottinghamshire um, a year before Lisa's murder. But I just hope to God, a year from now, this case will be solved. It's gone on far too long, 36 years. And do you know what I mean? No one, no, no one's family should have to suffer for that long without getting closure. One wonders if such a killing happened today, would the culprit get away with it? With advances in forensic science and social media providing snippets of vital information and amplifying the pressure on GMP to solve the case. I think the people of Lee have, have, have really tried their very best to help the police in this investigation. We had we spoke to over 3,000 people initially, and whenever we've had uh, press appeals, media appeals, appeals in your newspaper, on the radio or TV, we've had a, a really good response from the people of Lee in the area. And still people today, you know, all pressure groups or groups of people who are helping us, they've, uh, they've distributed leaflets in the past for us, and they're doing everything they can to identify, to assist the police, uh, which is really remarkable given that, uh, you know, this, this case is so many years old now. But I would remind everybody that there is still a £50,000 reward outstanding for the arrest and conviction of, of Lisa's killer. So, you know, I'd appeal for anybody who knows anything to contact Greater Manchester Police or Crime Stoppers.
One of those pressure groups is on social media. Get justice for Lisa Jane Hessian and her mum Christine. It was set up by Andrea Aldred and Ryan Daly. I spoke to them about why they are still campaigning for justice after all these years. I'm convinced even after over 30 years, he will be caught. And I'm telling you, I'm not having it that someone doesn't know who the, who the person is who, who killed Lisa Hessian, who's guilty there. I personally, like many other people, I think he's been shielded by a family member from the very early stages. Um, maybe his mother or a sibling, I don't know. But if if I'm right then, then the person shielded him is just as guilty. Um, a lot of Lee folk also think the, cul- the culprit has um, been shielded as well. So I'm not having, no one knows who's responsible. I've, gr- I've grown up in Lee and you can't keep an out a secret in this time. Someone, I think someone knows. And do you believe that one day it will be resolved? I do, yeah, very much so. I don't know why I do, I just do. I, I, I believe somebody out there must have covered it up for him and give him the alibi he needed to hide at that time. And I just hope it eats at his conscience day in and day out and it, it confesses himself, hopefully. It's like the ghost of the town. It's never been answered and it needs answers it needs it needs justice it needs finding i asked martin bottomley head of gmp's cold case unit why this case still resonates with so many people 36 years later yeah i think it's a combination of factors i think the the area where lisa lived was obviously a very close-knit community lots of people knew each other Um, you know there were lots of lisa's friends knew her very well um, they knew Lisa's mum. She was a young girl. She was 14. She was horribly attacked and murdered. And, you know, that kind of uh, horrific incident gets lots of local publicity and sympathy and even regional and national publicity. So it's something that strikes at the heart of us all. You know, we've all got uh, relatives of this age and it's just unthinkable that somebody could get away with murder and that her relatives and mum couldn't see justice done at the time. At an inquest into Lisa's death in April 1985, her last moments were revealed. Police believe the killer gripped her striped t-shirt around her neck with one hand and had his other over her mouth. The verdict was never in any doubt. Unlawful killing. But Coroner David Blakey said it may have been that the attacker did not intend to kill Lisa but even so, it would at least constitute manslaughter. For me, the case is drenched in poignancy. The case has still not diminished in the memories of those who knew Lisa and lived in Lee. It has remained a shadow over the town. Two months after the murder, Detective Superintendent Millard asked how anyone could kill Lisa, who he described as a sweet school kid. He said he was confident that the killer would be caught and vowed he would not rest until he was. His intention was no doubt authentic, but the killer got away with it, condemning Lisa's mum to unrelenting pain. And if you could give a final message to the listeners 
about Lisa and about the case, what would you say? Lisa's murder has stayed with me throughout my entire career as a newspaper reporter. I'm just a reporter and all I'm capable of doing is getting a message out there. I'm not a copper. It's up to GMP to solve this case. But what I can do, and Ryan Daly and Andrea Aldrich can do, is send out the opportunity for people, and there will be somebody who is shielding Lisa's killer, to give that person the opportunity to finally face up to their conscience and make that call. I haven't given up, and I hope that one day they will find the man who murdered Lisa Hessian. And that is my testimony. Testimony, Case 1, Parts 1 and 2 are a laudable production from the Manchester Evening News. It was presented by Neil Keeling and it was produced by Dan McLaughlin. Christine Hessian was voiced by Gail Knight. Detective Superintendent Millard was voiced by John Kirby. The daughter of the 1985 victim was played by Sophie Fitzpatrick. The attacker was voiced by David Allen. And the journalist was played by Matt Millard. The rest of the voices heard on the podcast were from interviews conducted by Neil Keeling. And Neil was interviewed by Dan McLaughlin. You can download Testimony wherever you get your podcasts, but for immersive and interactive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android.